Hello, and welcome to the Alchemy of Art podcast with your host, Addie Hirschton. Join us as we share folk tales and true stories about artists and the creative process. The quote of the day is by Henry David Thoreau. He said, the world is but a canvas to the imagination. Hello, everyone. My name is Addie Hirshton. I'm a contemporary impressionist painter, art instructor, author, and public speaker. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories about art and artists to inspire you, to help you move forward. On the show, I interview artists from a wide variety of mediums so that we can learn from each other's processes and philosophy. Today's podcast features an interview with the painter David Gallup and the story of Thoreau on Walden Pond. Announcements. So I've started my next book. It is a nuts and bolts guide to painting and developing your own painting style. In one of the chapters, I have a step-by-step guide to creating a painting, kind of a 101, very simple step-by-step process. And for a limited time, you can go download that chapter for free by going to my art blog, artistaddy.com, and signing up for my newsletter. It's on the left-hand side of the page. I'm happy to announce that I will be teaching at the September 2016 Art and Soul Retreat in Virginia Beach. There I'll be doing a two-day workshop on Victorian flower painting, as well as a one-day workshop, The Secret Language of Symbols. So if you want to join me there, go to artandsoulretreat.com to register. Now, without further ado, here's my interview with David Gallup. David Gallup is a painter who specializes in scenes of the ocean, both above and below the waterline. As a young man, he worked as a writer, illustrator, and art director for a Los Angeles newspaper to pay his way through art school, the Otis Art Institute of Parsons School of Design. David Gallup is an explorer, not just of nature, but of the introspective and spiritual connection man has with his environment. His life's passion has become a quest for new interpretations of the natural world without leaving his roots in plein air observation-based painting. Working in the style of the Impressionist masters, many of David's works are created on location in some of the world's most beautiful and fascinating places like California, Hawaii, Alaska, Belize, and more. They often depict moments when natural elements such as fog, rain, water, glare, or darkness obscure the solid forms. These elements are used in Gallup's work to visually represent the sense of awe and mystery he feels for the natural world. He's a signature member of Artists for Conservation and the California Art Club. One of the most interesting projects David Gallup has done, in my personal opinion, was to paint the sunset every evening in 1999. The resulting collection was titled 52 California Sunsets, The Waning of the 20th Century, and it was exhibited in West Los Angeles in July of 2000 to great critical acclaim. David is a popular art instructor known for his knowledge and contagious enthusiasm for art and for the ocean. 
He continues to dive, kayak, surf, and sail the local waters off of California coast and around the world, seeking inspiration for the next painting. He's won numerous awards and can be seen today in museum exhibitions and collections nationwide. To find out more about David, uh, you want to go to his website, which is dgallop.com. So welcome, David. Thank you, Addie. It's great to be here. Oh, lovely. Well, what's the story of how you became an artist? Um, well, you know, I think pretty much all kids, when they're very young, they draw and paint. Um, mm. Whether it's finger painting, just coloring stuff with crayons. And I'm kind of the story of somebody who uh, never stopped. I'm what happens. Um, a lot of people stop for some reason. They, uh, they think maybe it's a kid thing or um, at some point they quit getting encouragement on it. Um, I, I just always enjoyed it and kept doing it. And, uh, I think I saw myself as an artist from my earliest memories. Hmm. Mm. Why, why do you think they stop? Well, um, <laughs> I've asked a lot of people why they stop. Uh, mm. some people will have, if you can believe it, um, actually an art teacher when they're in grade school or middle school, tell them that they're just not good at it. Mm. Um, you know, uh, other people, they might have, uh, especially you talk to men with um, fathers from the you know previous couple of generations and they'll say, oh, you know, yeah, my dad told me that was a, it was for girls or it was a kid thing or it wasn't for, um, you know, it wasn't for uh, men to do to do mm. uh, coloring and stuff like that. So they they stop and they start doing other things um, either because they're directed to or, you know, I, I can't really climb in people's heads, but maybe not everybody has that same connection to it that I do. You know, I, I imagine not. So uh, not everybody has that same continuing motivation. But I was um, I was always fascinated with the marks that I made. I always enjoyed them. Um, I, you know, I know a lot of artists that are always unhappy with their work and that it's, mm. you know, nothing's ever good enough and that kind of, I, I was kind of, um, a little bit different than that. I was always someone that, uh, even when I was a kid, obviously not making sophisticated marks, I still enjoyed seeing what I was doing and, um, the, you know, still, still the marks I make are never perfect for me, but, uh, I still get a, a great enjoyment out of, um, seeing them and, uh, watching them get better. Awesome. So what's your favorite thing about painting and why painting over another art form like sculpture, for instance? Um, well, I, I would love if I could do all art forms. I'd love to um, be a you know, musician and a dancer and a sculptor and a painter and a filmmaker and a writer. Um, it, it sounds like a, a great thing to do, but I just need more lifetimes than that. So uh, <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah. So to be, um, you know, to, to really find the joy in, in, you know, mastering something, um, we have to narrow down some choices and really focus on that. And, uh, for me, I, I fell in love with oil paint at a pretty early age. I love the, I love just the look of it. I love when it's piled on thick. I love the way it just feels on the palette that, uh, the, the body of it. Um, mm. and I, I love the, uh, the purity of the color. Mm. Um, yeah. in oil paint more than any other thing I've ever found. So uh, that's why I've stuck with that one. And you obviously also love the ocean. <laughs> and yeah. so many of your paintings have scenes um, from, you know, either above the waterline or below. And I know you love scuba diving and you find yeah. inspiration from going to those outings. How do you create a water scene on a painting after an excursion? Do you, are you working from memory? How does it work? Yeah, as much as possible, I work from memory. Um, 
you know, sometimes I think we all get seduced by the simplicity of working from a photograph. Um, but the problem is that uh, photographs never really do show me what I feel like I experienced when I was diving. Mm. Um, so I'm just trying to trust myself to, to not use photographs, to go down, have an experience, paint from that memory, paint from, you know, not necessarily just an instant like a camera click would do, but what was my impression of that whole dive, you know, or what was my impression of that um, three or four minutes where I paused, you know, and a uh, school of sardines was circling around me or, <laughs> Um, what was that? What was that moment like when I saw those two sharks swim underneath me uh, <laughs> and, and think about those moments? And they're not instants. You know, um, I might see those sharks swim under me over a period of, you know, 30 seconds and I watch them go by and, and then off into the distance. Um, so so it's a it's a little bit bigger time window than that. And uh, that's what I find really intriguing and exciting and challenging uh, in creating a painting is to open up that time window and get it away from the idea of a camera click. Because in truth, I, I don't think that humans experience the world in a series of camera clicks. I think we have these bigger moments. And uh, so what are we trying to paint? Are we trying to paint a human experience or a camera's experience? So I'm after the experience. And uh, obviously it's, it's a lot more challenging, um, but that's kind of where the fun lies for me too. Nice. So on your website, you have a number of paintings that were created collaboratively with Nancy Belansky. Yes. If I'm pronouncing her name right. Yeah, what, what process do you guys go through to create one of these pieces? Do you take turns working on the canvas? Are you working at the same time? I'm really intrigued. Oh, well, we've done all kinds of stuff. Um, Nancy's my um, dive buddy, of course. Uh, and... Um, you know, my partner in art and in life. And so, so we have these experiences together. And uh, when we come up, often we'll have the same part of the dive that inspired, uh, that inspired us to do a painting. So, um, you know, the first one happened, we were in uh, Belize and we came up and uh, out of all the dives we did there, there was one moment that for us was just the most magical moment. And uh, when we got back to the studio here in the U.S., um, we both were holding on to that one moment in our head saying, you know, mm -hmm. that that moment with those French grunts just in the coral. And we spent I mean, we must have spent 10 minutes with them. It was so extraordinary. Mm. Uh, and the light was just so beautiful. And the way they were the way they were just grouped together and they let us just come right in and be part of the little school with them. Um, and we both really wanted to paint that moment. So. Uh, you know, I don't know which one of us said, let's just do it together. You know, so we we just started off uh, the painting with, you know, with that in mind that we we're just going to collaborate on it and sort of take turns. And um, I think I had another piece going at the time. So Nancy started that one. Uh, Nancy's a great painting starter, too. She's she loves to jump in and very quickly get a whole big design down and get a lot going on. Bold, you know, bold colors, high contrast, strong energy, great sense of design. Hmm. Um and I love to finish a painting. I love to really craft that brushstroke that takes three minutes to mix on the palette before you set it down. Mm -hmm. I, love, um, I love fine tuning a drawing. I love, um, you know, spending an hour trying to figure out, you know, what five color harmony is going to be the best for this little, you know, three inches of canvas. Um, so, so we have different things that we're naturally drawn to. We're both 
uh, fluid in the whole process of creating a painting, but um, most of the time Nancy is drawn to doing these big fast starts and I'm, I'm drawn to these uh, long drawn out contem contemplative uh, kind of finishes of a painting. Um, so that's the way that one worked mostly. Uh, she did most of the beginning of it, I did most of the end. But um, we, you know, we took time sort of trading off back and forth uh, on that one. By the time we got to some of the bigger paintings, like Deeper Love, um, that one uh, was a big enough canvas that we could sort of stand side by side and rotate in and out. And we started working much more at the same time, much more simultaneously on that canvas. Um, it seems kind of challenging, but the, the reality of it is that musicians collaborate all the time, right? Yeah. Uh, writers collaborate frequently. Uh, every kind of artist seems to do it except for the visual arts. And I don't think it's because it's necessarily a challenging thing mechanically or that there aren't advantages to it. I think that um, painting in particular has become so associated with being the expression of the ego of one person yeah. that, um, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's just kind of how we see it. So, uh, you know, the, the trick in putting ego aside and creating a painting that embraces both of our strengths and being able to, you know, um, remove your ego enough from a painting that you can take someone else's input on it. Um, it's, you know, it's pretty much the same thing with the relationship. You're just kind of doing it with the painting. So, uh, we will frequently stand back from a painting. You know, the process of doing a painting, maybe not all your listeners know this, it's not so much about putting paint on the canvas. Most of creating a painting is figuring out the concept, figuring out the design, what are the color harmonies going to be, mm -hmm. um, you know, how do, how do we want that expressed, what are the styles we're going to use, is it going to be um, a scumbled area, or is it going to be more smooth and finished and illustrative? Um, is it going to be dark and moody and mysterious or is it going to be very clear? Those kind of things are big decisions in a painting. And most of the time and most of the process of putting a painting together is exactly that. And that's a very natural thing to have a conversation about. So as we step back from the painting to make those decisions, we're frequently stepping back together and the decisions become discussions. And I think that makes stronger decisions. And uh, it doesn't matter too much then in the end which one of us goes up and puts the paint on. Um, because all the important parts of the painting uh, are the decisions that are made in the process. Lovely, lovely. What advice would you give to your younger artist self? You know, I would um, resist. If I were actually given that opportunity, I think I wouldn't say anything because oh. I, I, love, I love the way everything unfolded and kind of brought me to this place. Okay. So uh, the idea of tampering with that... Um, <laughs> I don't think I would do. Okay. Now, You've seen uh, the Back to the Future yeah, movies or something. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I would give advice to other young artists, and maybe that was the heart of the question. Perhaps. Uh, <laughs> what, I, what I would say is, um, and something that I always did, and so maybe that's why I don't feel the need to go back and say that to my younger self, but um, just really be pure to your vision. If you have that calling to do something, um, the, the world is going to try and put you into a pigeonhole. It's going to try and um, put you into an existing business. Uh, and whenever you do something that doesn't fit what the uh, corporate expectations are for art, meaning the galleries or um, whatever, you know, whatever clubs are around and all that stuff, they all have their sort of look that they're looking for and all that stuff. And if you don't fit that, they're going to be hard on you and life, life will be a little tough on you. 
Um, my advice to people is if you have a vision that is different from everyone else's, you're probably exactly the person that should be an artist. And hold on to that and cherish that and don't let anybody tell you what to paint or how to paint. What's the main message you are trying to convey with your work? Um, life is beautiful, but not just human life. All, all life, all nature is extraordinarily beautiful, and um, we need to keep it that way. We need to protect it. We, uh, you know, as humans, we're very, very hard on this planet, especially in the last 150 years, and uh, now, especially in the last 50 or 60 years, we're being hard on the oceans. Um, we've always been able to take it for granted that the oceans are so big that we can't mess them up, but we're starting to do it. And so um, as we dive around and we witness firsthand um, the coral being bleached, uh, overfishing, um, you know, depleting fish stocks, uh, and then also being able to go and, and uh, now some of these sanctuaries have been around, marine sanctuaries have been around for 30, 40 years, um, and visiting those places and seeing how everything can come back. Um, I would just love for people to look at the work and develop an appreciation for how, yes, wild and sometimes um, even even kind of scary the ocean can be, but in that wildness is where the beauty is, right? Mm -hmm. The same thing that makes yeah. it this the thing, same thing that makes it dangerous. It's also the same thing that makes it beautiful, and uh, we need to protect that beauty not just for our aesthetic sake, but for mankind's existence as well, you know, and just for uh, leaving that resource available to all of the future generations of humans. Hmm. What big projects do you currently have in the works? Well, Nancy and I just got back from 10 days diving in Fiji. Uh, oh. We're exploring uh, some of the most beautiful coral reefs in the world down there. Oh. Uh, the Rainbow Reef area of Fiji alone has uh, over 400 charted dive sites. Um, and so in 10 days, obviously, we didn't get to do all of that, but we, we did get a nice overview of the abundant, beautiful uh, coral reef life in Fiji. Mm -hmm. And we're working on some paintings of that, and I imagine that'll take us probably at least a year to get those done. Wow. Well, exciting. Things to look forward to. Yeah. This is our last question. What's your favorite art book or story? Um, I'm a big fan of Kurt Vonnegut, and he wrote a story called Bluebeard. I don't know if you ever read that, but it's about an artist, actually. Okay. And it's a, it's a uh, fictitious artist, um, a fictional artist who is dropped into uh, a circle of real artists, right? So um, this character uh, is friends with people like, um, oh, I can't remember, Rauschenberg maybe, and uh, – uh, Jackson Pollock, and he's kind of in that crowd, right? 1950s artists, and he's gotten famous, and then something happens where his his work falls out of favor, and he becomes sort of an embarrassment to the art community, and he goes off. But reading that story, he he um, is someone who started off as an illustrator, and then he let go of it and became an abstract painter, and uh, embraced modernism and developed an eye for that. And uh, someone asked him at one point in that story. Um, how do you know once you get rid of all the standards, once there's no perspective anymore, once there's no drawing anymore, how do you know what's good? <laughs> and his answer to that, and it's amazing that Vonnegut wrote this without being a painter, but um, his answer to that was look at a million paintings and then you can never be wrong. And it's so true. That's what you got to do. If you want to 
cultivate your eye, just look, look, look at paintings your whole life. And, and the more you look, the more you see. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, David. Uh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Today's story is a true story. This is Throw on Walden Pond. Between 1845 and 1847, Henry David Thoreau went to live in a small cabin on Walden Pond in Concord, Massachusetts. He wanted to get away from the restrictions of society, be independent, and live closer to nature. For two years, two months, and two days, Thoreau successfully lived his dream of being a hermit in the woods. During that time, he thought a lot about humanity's relationship with and dependence on nature. He decided that he wanted to learn to be happy anywhere, regardless of his circumstances. I would rather sit on a pumpkin and have it all to myself, he said, than be crowded on a velvet cushion. He believed that people who look for bad things will find bad things, quote, even in paradise. <laughs> Thoreau wrote a book about his experience called Walden or Life in the Woods. In it, he urged people to carve and paint the very atmosphere through which we look, to create the world we want to see by becoming an active participant in the process of nature. The book is now famous and has influenced many people. My thoughts on this story. It's easy to get caught up in the entrapments of our everyday life, and sometimes we feel powerless to change things that we see around us, like environmental devastation, for example. Yet every choice you have made up until now has put you where you are today. And every choice we're going to make in the future is going to change the future. So if you don't care for your surroundings, make plans to change them. Only you have that power. This story and many others are available in my book, The Alchemy of Art, Stories for the Classroom. If you love this podcast and want to receive a monthly update, on the newly released shows, you want to sign up for my newsletter at azirfineart.com. And there you can help the podcast to continue by making a donation on the podcast page. This concludes our Alchemy of Art podcast for today. May these stories about art and the creative process inspire you. May you find your voice. You have been listening to the Alchemy of Art podcast. To find out more about Addie Hirshton and her work, go to azirfineart.com. That's A-Z-H-I-R-F-I-N-E-A-R-T dot com.